Uh, my name is Ronnie Cummins, and I'm uh, the director of Organic Consumers Association. I've been an activist since the 1960s in all aspects of social change. It's normal to live in an unhealthy society. It's normal to have poison food. It's normal for people to be obese and suffering heart disease and cancer. You know, they're making billions of dollars off a lab-released lab-engineered virus that should have never existed in the first place, and it wouldn't have if the public had known about this. Biofascism is what we're staring in the face. And scientifically, if you don't agree with the mainstream agenda, you're a conspiracy theorist. A large percentage of Marines are refusing to take these vaccines. A large number of police in the United States are refusing these vaccines. Participatory democracy would eliminate the dominance of these corporations and these billionaires. We're gonna solve the climate crisis. We're gonna defeat the Great Reset, but uh, we have to all be participants and not just uh, viewers or an audience. Viewers or an audience. Ronnie, fantastic to have you here on Speaking Naturally. Um, you know, Ronnie, you and I are really into natural anyway, and now we're speaking, so we couldn't have anyone who, who's uh, more fitting. And of course, we've been warriors in the GMO area together um, in the past. Um, it's amazing to see your journey now here firmly in the big space of agriculture and health. And of course, COVID has brought so many things together for so many of us. Um, Ronnie, I'd love it if you could just um, tell our audience a little bit about yourself. Well, I've been an activist since the 1960s in all aspects of social change. And uh, I early on uh, was attracted to the alternative food movement. My grandparents were family farmers, organic farmers in, in East Texas. So I was uh, I grew up in summers and weekends on a family farm. But in any case, uh, I got involved in organizing campaigns, U.S. campaigns and international campaigns around food issues about 30 years ago and, uh, you know, got heavily involved in the anti-GMO sort of uh, mad scientist uh, with genetic engineering uh, campaigns. And then over time, uh, the, uh, the organic movement, I founded Organic Consumers Association, which is now a pretty large network of several million people. The organic uh, movement has grown and grown. And about 10 years ago, some of us started talking, Dr. Mercola uh, and myself, among others, that, well, we have 100 million people using uh, alternative medicine uh, supplements and visiting alternative medicine practitioners or integrative medicine. And then we got about 100 million people who are occasionally or regularly buying organic food. But the problem is that a lot of people who buy organic food still rely totally on industrial medicine. And a lot of people in the natural health sector who take supplements or who visit uh, you know, complementary medicine practitioners are still eating mainly conventional food. So we started working together about 10 years ago. We set up a coalition called uh, Health Liberty Coalition. Uh, and we uh, consciously started to try to talk more in the organic and anti-GMO and regenerative circles about natural health. Uh, and we uh, started talking more in the natural health sector about food issues. And then when COVID hit, uh, it was clear that this was, you know, the biggest disaster since the Second World War uh, coming down politically and, you know, also in terms of the fact that so many people are, you know, have chronic diseases. In the U.S., it's 60% of the population, 42% have multiple chronic diseases. Uh, this has doubled since 1970, 1980. Uh, it's largely attributed to poison food and a poison environment. Uh, but they've got the population panicked, the majority panicked, uh, because partly 
They've gotten us to accept that it's normal to live in an unhealthy society. It's normal to have poison food. It's normal for, for people to be huge numbers, obese and suffering heart disease and cancer. And so what we've been trying to do throughout the COVID crisis is, is look, okay, look at the origins and the, and the nature of the virulence prevention and treatment, uh, but also the shortcomings, uh, the disastrous shortcomings of what governments have done that they claim uh, will solve the crisis. No one is talking about the reason why people with serious health problems, you know, uh, that this virus, this, this lab engineered virus can cause these pre-existing conditions to get much worse and can actually, uh, you know, put you in the hospital or kill you at, at alarming to the public. But I think we're biofascism is what we're staring in the face right now. And yeah. that if we don't, if we're not careful, we're going to lose, you know, not only our uh, our health, our environment, uh, the climate crisis is not going to get fixed, but we're going to be living in a global state that more closely resembles uh, communist China uh, than it does participatory democracy. So we wrote this book, The Truth About COVID-19, Dr. Mercola and I, we got Robert Kennedy Jr. to write a very strong forward attacking the Great Reset and the threat of biofascism. And even though the mass media and the internet giants are trying to shut us down, it is, you know, it's sold 140,000 copies already. And nice. it's, a, it's on the bestseller list. And it's opening doors, I believe, uh, that, that need to be open. Uh, a lot of the natural health community has not understood the importance of looking at origins as much as it has. And then those people who are, you know, looking at the origins, the lab origins of this, need to look more carefully at the bigger picture of the vaccines, rush to market, the, the political authoritarianism that is now uh, really scary across the world. So the the look, it's a, it's a fantastic book, and you know everyone needs to go out there and, and get a copy of it. You can you can read it electronically, you can buy it, and um, it it essentially provides an entire thesis. I think for many people who read it, suddenly the madness. So I don't know if you've noticed the way that people greet each other in in emails these days. It nearly always has you know um, haven't you know, had contact you in these peculiar times or in these strange times. I mean, people use these these incredible adjectives to describe what's going on because it does not make sense. And um, um, I remember when we looked in the middle of last year, started to see what the World Economic Forum was doing with the Great Reset, suddenly a whole range of things clicked into position. And um, I think people who haven't necessarily um, looked at that bigger picture. And that's something I'd really love us to, to be able to talk about. One, one of the reasons we're having these conversations on, on this kind of stream is because you will not get this conversation happening on, on uh, mainstream news. Um, I mean, perhaps just on that point, um, you've got a bestseller out there. Which of the major networks have contacted you to talk about your book? Uh, none of the major networks uh, have approached us. I think we're still too hot to handle, but yeah. uh, I think they're going to they're going to open up a little bit more as things move forward. So, and and of course, your one of your opening chapters is on the issue of origins. We we were looking at that literally from 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 day one as well. And um, I mean, one of the things that we've upheld since uh, April last year is that. Um, you know, anyone who says this is definitely zoonotic in origin, it has come from a natural um, source, um, clearly is not talking science. And, and I think now when you look at the balance of evidence, you'd have to say that, that it's leaning pretty strongly to um, uh, lab origin. And of course, um, just on that point, and I know you discuss it in the book, but um, do you, where do you think the evidence is leaning in terms of um, accidental escape from gain-of-function research versus deliberate release? 
Yeah, I think it's going to become the dominant uh, opinion of what happened, the dominant perspective, because there's no way that they can cover this up, you know, uh, further. I mean, they, they did a pretty amazing job the last 15 months in confusing people, even though all the evidence pointed the other way. But uh, unless uh, Biden and the Democratic Party in the United States want to sacrifice power and give it back to the Republicans, uh, they're going to have to at least pretend to look at this. And to me, one of the scary things is that scientists, as we speak, are manipulating the uh, COVID-2 COVID virus to where it will be able to uh, survive, you know, the basic immune uh, response of humans. I mean, just think about this for a minute. You know, if another version gets out there, deliberate or accidental, it's not going to matter. But it's a version that's been souped up to where your natural immune system can't fight it off. Uh, it makes it very difficult to talk about vaccine safety and freedom of choice. Uh, and if the version that got out had been more virulent, you know, in itself, uh, rather than highly transmissible, that's why so many people, uh, their death certificates list this as one of the cofactors. But I'm really scared about the fact that now that the globalists see that they can consolidate power and control from what looks like an accidental release, uh, you know, you will be able to do this again with other varieties, uh, you know, and if we don't stop this, it's not just exposing the lab origins of this virus, but we have to close the loopholes in the international protocols on chemical and biological warfare and make it illegal to do this type of gain of function or souping up viruses and bacteria and microorganisms. But Ronnie, we, we have been here before in the sense, if you look back at some viruses, and I, I wonder if we can learn from this. Um, uh, and it's interesting that, that Fauci is, you know, in a pretty senior position once again with, with COVID, um, as he was with HIV. And of course, we no longer have um, Carrie Mullis to commentate on what might be going on with, with PCR, for example. Um, but um, I remember doing some work in Italy um, on a very specific uh, device, and I'm sworn by confidentiality to, to, to be able to um, look at um, uh, prostate cancer. And um, it had been developed by um, scientists in the Italian military. And um, one evening, um, after we'd finished work in the lab, um, one of the, the senior scientists said he had been sworn to secrecy um, a couple of decades earlier about the whole issue of HIV. And um, it confirmed doubts that many of us had had as well, that that was another lab release and it's known and it's, you know, and I think these are the kind of issues that we, we now face. Of course, the world was a freer world back then. What has happened now is, I think, something that none of us would thought would ever happen in our own lifetime where we cannot talk openly on any, in any normal kind of um, medium. Um, but um, yes, I, I wonder if we will ever know positively. You, your sense is that eventually it will come out. Is that right? Yeah, I mean, I think the lawyers use the term the preponderance of evidence. If we were in a courtroom and there was a jury uh, that had been selected based on the fact that they could look like they could render an objective judgment, we would win hands down uh, right now. And, uh, you know, that's, that's the most important point we need to make is that there's overwhelming evidence now that this was a lab uh, release. Let's, yeah, no, absolutely. Let's accept that. Um, the virus is out. We know that it tackles people who generally are don't have very healthy immune systems, have a number of comorbidities. Obviously, the long-term strategy is to fix that underbelly of the problem, which, which it's fascinating, is it not, that governments are not necessarily prioritizing that. But um, your book really um, looks, 
in detail at the Great Reset and then looks at the political, economic and social change that is basically contained in the Great Reset. It's, it's, it accepts the fact that you need to essentially break down the social, economic, political system that, that we've been running with for the last century or so, um, that, that has been in turn evolved over, over millennia to something that's completely different. Now, um, it would be great if you could give um, our listeners and viewers an idea of what's the other side of the Great Reset. What is the kind of world that they want to take us in, in terms of social systems, how our daily lives um, might be led, how we work. Um, I want to go on to talking about transhumanism because that's a big part of it. And, you know, we're following this and we're seeing university departments all over the world developing on emerging technologies and transhumanism. And of course, we've got, you know, CRISPR technology has now supercharged this, this race towards change. But mRNA technology, as used in the Moderna and Pfizer vaccines, are part of this. And I don't think that's well understood by the public generally. So let's talk about that. So can we, can we just have a, your perspective on the kind of social, economic and political system? If we do nothing, where are they trying to take us? Yeah, I mean, they're trying to take us to a situation where the whole world will more closely resemble communist China. I mean, communist China is already the most powerful economic force in the world. And the, a lot of these globalists are willing to sacrifice everything uh, in order to be that powerful. And I think what we can build a global coalition around some basic issues we all agree on. I think people want peace. Uh, I mean, the reason why there's uh, been a movement for nuclear disarmament is because people cared about that. The reason there's been a peace movement is people think it's crazy that we're spending trillions of dollars every year uh, on, mm. you know, weapons and war. Yeah. Uh, they haven't understood, though, that chemical and biological warfare are not some secondary concern, some secondary issue. For example, in the United States, I'd say uh, right now with the this is the tick season uh, in the United States. Uh, most people in Minnesota, where I live part of the year and all the way to the to the northeast are terrified of going outside this time of the year because Lyme's disease is a serious uh, issue and it's changed people's whole lives. But hardly anyone realizes that there's very good documentation. There's a preponderance of evidence, if you will, that uh, Lyme's disease was a chemical and biological weapon that uh, escaped, you know, and the, it's, it's here. And the medical profession, the establishment medicine, at first tried to say, oh, it's just in your mind. There's no such thing. Then they have been very reluctant to look at how complicated uh, the symptoms are, disease, how serious this disease is. And the reason it's so serious, this is not like, like other diseases they've looked at, because this thing was weaponized to be used in war. It was used, uh, you know, in various theaters of, of uh, the Cold War and the Hot War. Uh, and we're, 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 we're set with this. And establishment medicine doesn't want to listen to the alternative medicine people about how we can solve this. So I think the whole world believes in believes we need peace. I believe they they realize we need to fix the climate and environmental crisis. I think people broadly agree on the need for participatory democracy. This this term hasn't been heard very much, uh, but this is how I came into activism in the 1960s, and we saw that what was associated with, uh, you know, socialism or communism had degenerated into authoritarian type states in, in Russia and, the, and in China. Uh, and, but we saw also that the so-called democracy that existed in, in Europe and, and the West and America uh, was only a partial democracy, that what we really need 
is participatory democracy where people have control over the, the policies and institutions that affect their daily lives. And I think we need to start using this terminology because uh, to the people who agree with us on the pandemic, for example, many of whom are conservative, many of whom voted for uh, Republicans, uh, they're not gonna come around to some of the terminology that's, that's been common uh, to the green-minded people or to the left. Uh, why fight about that? Let's point out, we want participatory democracy, not a great reset. Participatory democracy would eliminate the dominance of these corporations and these billionaires, uh, but we have to take down the military industrial complex on a global scale as we're doing this and turn it to pacification and conflict resolution. And I really believe we can do this. But you look at Biden is asking for more money in military spending than Trump did. You know, mm. Trump was asking for more than Obama did. You yeah. know, it's like it's the same business as usual. And we need to uh, put an end to this. I mean, it's interesting that soldiers in the United States, uh, a large percentage of Marines, for example, are refusing to take these vaccines. You know, a large number of police in the United States are refusing these vaccines. A large number of these people uh, are very skeptical of the elite uh, narrative on everything, not just COVID. And we never had these folks on our side in the way we should have uh, over the last 60 years of activism. This time, if we're careful and if we do things right, uh, we can have a global coalition that includes rank and file military, that includes the police, that includes uh, you know, religious-minded people who are a huge percentage of the global population. Uh, what our job is to do is to start educating the people who should know better, who have fallen for this great reset, many of whom uh, are the, the liberals, the leftists, the green-minded people. We have to educate these people that uh, what's going on, A, and that we have the potential to ally with people. Let's stop fighting over secondary issues uh, and let's let's get down and talk about the things that really matter. This, this concept of po polarizing people on the basis of the political spectrum. So, um, you know, what one label that gets applied to anyone that doesn't agree with this kind of new normal that's being thrust on us with with, you know, social contracts that Klaus Schwab and others believe are the way forward is that you are immediately far right. And scientifically, if you don't agree with the mainstream agenda, you're a conspiracy theorist. So these are two very convenient silos that, that massively simplify the underlying arguments. And I think, I think it's, it's for all of us to, to come together. That, that's why I think it's really important also that we clarify this kind of vision of where they're taking us. So you, you've mentioned it would be like communist China. So... The, the, what what you're really rebelling against there is the fact that you don't have a participatory democracy, but you are also enslaved by the system. So the 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 very things and this becomes uh, very much a, an ethical and philosophical argument. The very things that make us humans, which is the independence of mind, it's the ability to use that extraordinary frontal cortex of ours for for reasoning and rationality. This is what I find as a scientist at this point in the game is that, wow, all the things that we've spent all of our lives trying to fine tune so that we can use it to solve some of the world's greatest problems, suddenly you don't need it anymore because you are in essence handing the solution to technocrats. And um, so when we look at that world, um, a lot of people, when they look at communist China, they, they, they might think of these, you know, huge cities made up of, of um, you know, slave laborers who are making iPhones for the West. Um, but, but of course, um, we, we don't necessarily get a clear view exactly 
of what it's what it's like. But um, I think the when you look at where they want to go with the Great Reset and beyond that, it's about really um, accepting that humans are inadequate. It's about recognizing that you you um, I mean Nietzsche and others talked about this many years ago. The the overhuman and you know going beyond humanism and uh, as I mentioned, there are transhumanist departments turning up in universities all over the world. But there is this basic issue whereby we're now handing the power to technocrats to use technology and biotechnology to be able to um, deliver something in terms of the physiological, physical capability of humans, the, the mental um, and emotional capability of humans. And that may be by give, providing more memory in a, in a certain context so that you can be more useful if you are enslaved. But also, and I think this is the bit that you're very much um, a supporter of, is, is, is free will. You know, one of the things that makes us humans is to be able to exercise this free will. And if we lose that ability to have free will, what kind of future is it? So what about the economic and political system that they want with the Great Reset? What would that look like? Well, it'll look on the surface like uh, enlightened capitalism. And uh, but what it's going to be like, you know, daily life, like like China, they have more middle class people in China than we do in the United States, you know. But a middle class person in China uh, doesn't have any rights uh, uh, compared to the remaining rights we have. I mean, you can't go on the Internet in China uh, and find any information, period, that the government doesn't want you to to, to see. You can't write. Same, as, can't same, as, same as here. That's that's the problem we face as well. That's no. right. So it doesn't necessarily mean we will be poor. We'll still have a very large middle class. You know, there won't be any jobs for the, uh, for the lower classes, but I guess they figure they'll just give them a, some kind of token guaranteed wage. Uh, and they don't seem to care that uh, we're not going to be able to procreate and reproduce uh, the way we do now if we continue on. I mean, it's a serious matter that we've got these chemicals in the environment that are decreasing sperm counts that are making it harder and harder for people to have children naturally. It's like, well, the elite, the globalists, the transhumanists, uh, they don't care because they are living in a secluded from this and they think, well, artificial insemination uh, for everyone is good and that way we can control the population and so on. So I think, I really think we do have a, I remember building a coalition many years back of, of religious leaders uh, in the United States and across the world uh, opposing patenting life, you know, patenting life forms. And it really was a, it was interesting because the, the people we got to understand about ge how genetically engineering food and crops, you know, and trees was a bad idea, uh, typically were not your religious leaders, right? Mm -hmm. But once we started talking about these same people playing God with genetically engineering food and crops, they want to play God with everything, you know, and including human reproduction and population control. And if we give them the right to patent living organisms, uh, we're opening the door. Now, we partly stopped that, at least the European Union, it's against, it has a little bit tighter laws on patents, but we live in a global, you know, a global economy uh, with the United States still having inordinate, you know, power. And, and they've actually patented these viruses. They've patented the research on this. You know, they're making billions of dollars off a lab-released, lab-engineered virus that should have never existed in the first place. And it wouldn't have if the public had known about this. But they operate in secret. And we don't understand that the military-industrial complex is not just a, it's not just a threat of a nuclear war or you know conflict escalating into that these people are a threat right now 
in what they're doing globally, they're designing things that will make Cove 2 uh, look, uh, or SARS 2, uh, look less, uh, less threatening. And, and as, as you say in your book, that these are the very people who are, you know, shutting us down. So the people who are profiting out of the, the lockdowns and the change in the power distribution that's occurred over the last 12 months are the people that are profiteering out of it. And it's, you know, we, we released an article last night looking at the uh, Salk Institute study that you've probably seen published in Circulation Research and um, obviously showing that, it, first of all, it's got all the patterns. This, you know, COVID-19 uh, has got all the patterns like Lyme disease of being a complex disease. It's not just a respiratory disease. It is a vascular disease. Um, so, uh, which of course makes it really interesting from a natural perspective, because the interesting thing about nature is that natural products always have this multifaceted, you know, function. So even ivermectin um, has many, many different functions, which is one of the reasons it will work in the viral phase, but it also work in the inflammatory stage. Um, so, you know, you look at quercetin, um, even vitamin C, these are all have, have so many different functions that, that they become very, very useful. And we've seen how they shut, um, you know, how, how they shut down any kind of common, you know, either sale or any commentary by anyone of influence in, in this area. But the Salk Institute study, if you look at the, the particular rescue therapy they use to reverse the effects of the damage, the, the vascular damage in the endothelium, in, in lung, human lung cells, also hamster lung cells, it was N-acetylcysteine, which is, in the natural health world, is one of the most important natural products, um, basically an amino acid, that, 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 you know, is a precursor to glutathione, which is the most important um, endogenous antioxidant in the body. And um, it, it's also an incredibly important uh, uh, antidote for, um, for paracetamol overdose. So, um, but, but of course it was Amazon that was the first company to pull the 400 or so products in the US that had NAC in them, N-acetylcysteine. The FDA has been sitting there for, you know, years. I mean, you, you, you saw it. It's attacked um, all the guys selling NAC as a hangover cure starting last, last summer. But bet your bottom dollar, they know perfectly well that NAC combined with quercetin, which they're also going after. You know, we, we have had all our videos linked to vitamin C and vitamin D pulled by YouTube. So this is an extraordinary process where you kind of remove information that, you know, has been shared in the spaces that the only spaces when we're locked down that we can share information and, and that's the internet. So, but fortunately we're all um, able to find new ways of communicating and, um, you know, uh, a, a big um, shout out to, to Mike Adams and Brighteon because that's, one of the platforms, of course, that we can use now. Um, so, yeah, if we can, um, just in terms of the monetary and financial systems, there's there's um, a lot of discussion that the World Economic Forum, through the Great Reset, wants to obviously eliminate all cash. That's pretty much a done deal. How do you think we will function financially? You know, we'll just receive money in our bank account, universal ba basic income, or Will there be free enterprise still in this new normal? Well, I think we need to educate people about what's going on in China right now, where your your bank account is connected to your behavior, and if you don't behave the way the government wants you to, uh, you're not gonna you're not gonna be able to survive economically. I don't think people quite grasp uh, what it's like this uh, digital currency controlled by central banks or by the government, uh, and so. We have to fight this. Uh, uh, we got to fight this system and realize that, like surveillance capitalism, is not in the future. It already exists in the United States, and they simply haven't closed the deal yet, as their uh, the Great Reset is planning. So things like uh, you know using cash 
buying local, growing local food, building up strong governments. I mean, I think we have to decentralize power. Uh, and, you know, in, in there's a million different communities in the world. Uh, in each one of these million communities, we have to organize and take back power. You know, we're not going to be able to go straight to the top and change the European Parliament and the European Commission and the, the U.S. Congress and the White House. Yes, eventually we have to do this. But the most important thing is what we're doing right now in our local areas and our, and our regions. And if we're going to have uh, local currencies and you know, cryptocurrencies that, that actually work and that can't be shut down by the government, uh, now's, now's the time. But we can't keep sliding in this direction. We can't have an internet controlled uh, by billionaires who want a great reset uh, and think that we can somehow work around that. We have to take them down. Uh, we have to build alternatives. And uh, I believe we can do that. Uh, so so the, to, to inspire people to become activists what you know i think you you and i have grown up in in you know uh, environmental movement you know civil rights movements where it was absolutely part of our you know ring of fire as we you know emerged as adults to to really take on the system um people have become more fearful they become more obedient generally speaking um, how do we inspire people to make sure that they take action that prevents the Great Reset in the form that Schwab and others would like to see it manifesting? What can people do on a day-to-day -day basis, starting today, tomorrow? Well, I think truth-telling about the COVID epidemic and the Great Reset is, is a great start. But in general... Uh, like I live in, in rural America part of the time, a good part of my life. 14% of Americans live in rural counties. The majority live in cities. But I know for a fact in rural counties that you can work with people who held their nose and voted for Trump, or you can vote, work with people who held their nose and voted for Biden. This is the majority of the population in rural America, you know, and by dealing with concrete issues, uh, you know, and connecting the dots between the things you agree on uh, and the things you don't agree on, uh, we can start there. If it's a church, if I'm speaking in a church, I would take up this mad human uh, transhumanism agenda of the, of the global elite. I would take up the fact that what happened in Wuhan, this was scientists, uh, U.S., Chinese global network of scientists who think they're better than God, that they can play God, that they know more than the average person knows, and that they're going to manipulate things uh, for what they see as the greater good. But look at what happened, you know, uh, and we have to stop this madness, you know, and it's people have to realize that you know, do you know anyone who's really healthy, you know, who uh, eats healthy food all the time and, you know, is not addicted to pharmaceutical drugs or whatever, who died with COVID listed on their death certificate? You know, I'm still, you know, waiting to hear about someone, uh, you know, like that. Well, I mean, organic consumers... Uh, there's huge numbers of people who occasionally or regularly buy organic food now. What we, what I start off with them is like we got to push this further. You know, we're we're five to ten percent of the food economy. You know, in the United States, we have to be the majority. I mean, everything from, uh, you know, people using food stamps, poor people to buy junk food, because you can, you know, the law lets you because Coca-Cola and them, they don't mind, you know, food stamps. They don't mind social welfare as long as they make money off of it. The processed food people. I mean, we live in the title of our newsletter this week is Metabolical Nation. You know, yeah. uh, we live in a nation 
where people are twice as unhealthy as they were 40 years ago because they're consuming twice as much unhealthy food. Uh, and we have got to get around this. We got to think big. It's like, let's provide free, healthy food to all the kids in schools. Let's provide free, healthy food, and it will be organic and regenerative is what it comes down to and locally produced. Let's give free food to people in nursing homes and people on Medicare. You know, that's a good start. Let's pay farmers and ranchers to do the right thing instead of what they're doing right now. We're paying them to do the wrong thing. You know, corporate agribusiness and the genetic engineers have set us up for a biological trigger like SARS-CoV-2, uh, which can magnify and exacerbate the poor health in the in the population. But and it's not a death we have to accept. We exactly. can get healthier and you know, we have to just this division between the organic community, for example, and the natural health community. We've got to break down these walls. Exactly. We've got to act as one. It's the the inequalities now have been stretched to to such a limit, and and we keep on being told that people in the most deprived communities are the ones that cannot afford healthy foods that will make them resilient and be able to handle these these pathogens. Therefore, they have to become dependent whatever the state decides to give them, which may be in this case a vaccine. Um, that, that is also an illusion that one of the ideas that, that um, if you um, have processed foods that involve multiple industrial steps, each one of them, you know, using human resources and technology that has to be paid for somewhere along the line, that that kind of food can suddenly be um, much, much cheaper than high quality food. Um, it can only happen if it's not real food. In other words, it's primarily junk. There is not much nutrient density in that food. And I think the, these are incredibly important concepts for the public to understand. How can you transition your, your eating habits to the point that you're eating high nutrient density food? You can eat less of it then you deal, you know, you have the double benefits of providing information to the body that makes it more resilient, um, but you're not putting in as many calories either. You, you know, you're not eating junk that, that is basically refined carbs that is at the, um, the basis of, of the obesity and type 2 metabolic disease epidemic. So, um, yes, dealing, having solutions that deal with the most deprived communities. And, and another thing I think that we've got to tackle is the, um, the fact that many of us are deeply concerned about the state of the environment. Um, and it's funny that we always, you know, get pitched the concern about climate change, and it's typically about emissions. Um, I mean, as an ecologist, I would say if you're going to look at greenhouse gases, you should be looking at sequestration or carbon sinks as much as you should be about emissions and look at that balance. And of course, how do you create really effective carbon sinks? Well, you change your land use. And the, the, the best way of doing it is having living soils. And this, this kind of transition towards um, arable farming, where we eat more and more low nutrient density grains, is actually right at the heart of killing agricultural soils. High NKP fertilizers, non-living soils, and then we lose the abilities for these vast tracts of land to, to um, become carbon sinks. And, and the other key issue in the environment that isn't discussed enough is biodiversity, is that you know we are in the middle of this sixth extinction. How do we promote biodiversity? And again, I mean, you, you've been an advocate of um, small farming. The work I was doing with Imperial College in my previous life was all about smallholder farmers in sub-Saharan Africa and Southeast Asia and elsewhere. Um, we all know that that is the solution and the, you know, industrial agricultural complex tells us something different. But these are fabrications, just as so much of what we hear about COVID is fabrication. If you're going to try and get a message to young people that are understandably deeply concerned about the environment and they kind of buy into the fact that we need to have 
a kind of great reset type of solution in order to fix the horrendous state that the planet is in from an ecological perspective what do you what do you tell them well i we have to regenerate health and regenerate the earth if we're going to stabilize the climate and i say basically yeah the the uh, world is on track to reduce emissions by 50 percent you know over the next 10 or so years because uh, alternative energy and energy conservation are actually profitable as well as the right thing to do however we've got to uh, take 50 percent of those emissions that are still going up and suck them back down out of the atmosphere the only way we're going to do that is with organic and regenerative food farming and land use i mean right here i'm talking to you from the middle of a organic research farm in mexico you know we've got 60 young people working today on staff planting agaves and planting trees. Uh, why? Because when you look out the window at the landscape, this is like 40% of the world. It's arid, semi-arid uh, climate. Uh, you can't grow crops anymore. Uh, the farms are in disarray. Uh, everyone's thinking about how to survive. They all have jobs in town, the parents, the grandparents. People are migrating to the United States illegally because they don't have any choice. There's a solution. It's called regenerative agriculture. We take back the traditional practices that really work and we, you know, modify them with some of the, the good stuff we've learned in the last 50, 60 years in organics. And I've seen, I've seen the impact. If you give young people uh, an opportunity to earn a decent living and learn how to become organic farmers and holistic managers of livestock, uh, where they can put their family's land to use, where they can put the communal lands to use that are degraded now, they get excited. Uh, they can become leaders. We can change the world. Most of the solutions to the climate crisis are going to come in the global south because that's where most of the farmers and ranchers uh, and people who live amongst forests live. And that's where the land can most readily be uh, regenerated, where you can have more carbon above ground and more carbon below ground uh, sequestered. And we can easily turn these things around. My last book was called Grassroots Rising last year uh, before this current COVID book. And you know, I laid out a blueprint for the United States. It's not that difficult to solve the problem if the food movement and conscious consumers will work with the climate movement, the people concerned about energy and that. And we can make the political changes, uh, you know, but we, we have to make them at the local level as while we're talking about the, the macro level. A, a lot of a lot of young people have been conditioned to believing that the only way forward is is veganism. In your view, what role does livestock play in a holistic agricultural system? Uh, if you do, if you raise livestock the right way, they can actually be a solution to the climate problems. Like here uh, in Mexico, most rural people have livestock. The problem is that. The livestock are being, they're overgrazing this, this brittle landscape. You know, why are they doing that? Because the people are poor. They don't have access to the, to the technical knowledge and the time to do it right. You know, but we're, what they're learning, I mean, we've discovered right in front of our eyes that a common desert plant here, the agave, if you chop it up finely and ferment it, which farmers have never done in 10,000 years, fermented in closed containers, uh, you got a better animal feed than alfalfa, you know? And this is an amazing food source that small farmers 45 minutes from here discovered about 12 years ago. No one had ever heard of it outside of their little area. They came to a, a workshop here. They told us, I immediately started writing about this and it's now starting to spread across the world that this, you can use certain desert plants in semi-arid, arid areas that we thought were junk or useless. Mesquite trees in the United States, we've got a hundred million acres of those. You know, agave plants, which people thought, oh yeah, you can make tequila 
or mezcal, but that's the only use. Well, I mean, it's right here in front of our eyes. Uh, nature will help us if we'll open up, but it takes organizing. It takes money. I mean, we have to convince a significant portion uh, of the people who hold the assets in the world to put these into ecological assets instead of financial aspects. I mean, we got a hundred trillion bucks in the world being invested, you know, and, you know, we need to move about 1% of that into regenerative food farming and land use, and we can reverse climate change, you know? And I mean, we have a, we have a divestment movement that has started at Global, I like this, to, to get uh, financial institutions to diversify, to get out of fossil fuels. Well, it's good we've, you know, we're seeing some, some progress in that. We got a long way to go. But I have seen no movement calling for divestment from corporate agribusiness and genetic engineering, you know, and gene editing uh, to regenerative organic and, and this. And the same thing with health. We need to unite under the banner of regenerating health, you know, not becoming transhuman objects. Uh, if they just inject the right messenger, uh, you know, RNA into us that we will be fine. Well, it's, it's fascinating. I mean, this is a, a nice point to be finishing off. And then I, I, I just want to get, make sure that you tell everyone where they can get more information about Organic Consumers Association and about um, the book, but um, if following both the health debate at the moment and the agricultural debate, you see CRISPR gene editing technology really at that interface. And, and I think it's really important now that the public starts to realize that this technology, um, that's uh, as well as mRNA technology, are the exact kind of technologies that are really what transhumanism is about. They're also the technologies that are associated with these so-called breakthrough crops that are being discussed. And we've seen so-called, you know, breakthrough crops being discussed many times over, you know, with this kind of new GM green revolution. Um, and, and of course, none of them meet the kind of promises they were sold for. And, and I think people are seeing also now you know, va vaccines, if you look at the way in which the COVID vaccines have been sold as experimental products, whenever did we have a new experimental medicine sold with this kind of frenzied coercion, you know, with this amount of marketing budget behind it, they're not even approved formally. So once we start to stitch together the, the commonalities of what's going on in the agricultural space as well as the healthcare space. And I, and I think particularly if young people can, can really start to wake up to how easy it is to be sucked into some of these debates, you know, for example, yeah. believing that all, you know, livestock and farming is going to be to the detriment of the planet. It, it, as you said, it, it isn't that simple. So, um, you know, Ronnie, thank you so much for what, what you're doing. It's, it's, it's your, your life is, is really coming together. I, I'm so excited that you've, you've really come into the health space as well, because bringing these movements together now is how this, this grassroots revolution um, really begins to take off. Um, just tell us where people can come to find more information about what you're doing, both in the book and also through the OCA. Yeah, organicconsumers.org. Uh, please go there. Uh, our, that's our primary website and subscribe directly to our newsletter because the problem is that the newsletter that Facebook still allows to get out there on social media has to be censored. Although it's interesting, last week for the first time, they didn't censor some of our stories on uh, the origins of COVID-19. They still censor everything about vaccine safety and the others. They also are not censoring our stories about Bill Gates. I think uh, Bill has gone off the deep end here in terms of the public uh, uh, view of him. And so organicconsumers.org uh, for natural health, mercola.com uh, is, is our closest ally. And if you're specifically interested in climate, 
and the solutions of food and farming, regenerationinternational.org. Those are the three websites that I think you can find uh, enough information to keep you going. And of course, Alliance for Natural Health and all of our allies. But in closing, we have to you know, break down the walls and unite the climate movement, the, the natural health movement, and the, the good food or the organic food movement as a first step. And then start working on the people who don't believe the official story of uh, this COVID-19, this global takeover. Because we've got new people willing to listen to us who never would have listened to us before. Uh, but they're, you know, if you don't talk to that police person or you don't talk to that person in the military or you don't talk to that church going person who feels the same way we do about transhumanism and these vaccines and COVID, uh, well, who is going to talk to them? So stop talking just to the people, you know, who agree with you uh, in your sector and let's start reaching out because we've got a new, you know, we've got a new potential. And I think we have to have a little faith. People are going to come a little more aware, the people to the left of the spectrum who have been brain dead through this whole COVID thing, they are going to awaken about the origins. They are willing to listen to us about sound science around vaccines and so on. Uh, we need that those people under our under our uh, our banner, and we need to be global. Uh, we're not going to solve this problem in, in any country. On on that point, um, people being brain dead, of course, that that and you talk about it in in your book, but. Um, is a consequence of fear to move out of the, the forebrain and move back into the midbrain. When you're in a place of fear, you aren't able to engage reason. So, so it's, it's really important that people come out of this place of fear because, um, and particularly having fear about the virus. Um, if you're gonna have any kind of fear, um, it should be really around what governments are doing um, about the kind of future that, that, that the next generations are going to be living, and and then we have to um, transmute that fear into into action, and that's why it's really important that people do take action. Um, it's also much harder for people to communicate with each other than it's ever been, because we 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 both in many parts of the world are still facing um, social distancing, um, lockdowns, and everything else. And the channels that we used to use to communicate with each other until very recently, social media channels are now um, very, very disruptive because of the extent of censorship. And I think, again, when people start to wake up to why we have to re-engage, you've mentioned the importance of subscribing to an email list so we can um, speak uh, directly to organizations via their websites and you know, pray that the... Uh, platforms that their websites exist and aren't aren't taken down and we are seeing more and more websites being being pulled off the the internet space at the moment but um these these are difficult times this is the kind of um it is really the third world war that we didn't have you know 30 years ago isn't it it's just come in a different form um and people have to understand there is an element of us being on a wartime footing so sitting on our backsides isn't an option. Um, Ronnie, um, thank you so much um, for, for what you're doing. Um, maybe just, if there's one to finish on, if there's one piece of really crucial advice that you'd give to people, what is the most important advice that helps us you know, start this grassroots revolution? Don't mourn or cower in fear, get out there and organize. I mean, the US, is opening up right now. I mean, I was just there for a month and, you know, because they're, they're lying and they're saying it was the vaccines uh, that have reduced the, the, uh, the threat. But it was amazing to see people without masks outside and inside starting to smile, starting to talk to another again. I really believe that there's a pent up desire for community and communication and love and affection and nature and solutions uh, that we can uh, take advantage of at this point. And everything we do, let's try to 
de-escalate the fear and the polarization and get down to the nitty gritty of organize, 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 educate, educate. And, you know, people, people can tell the subliminal message too. You know, we have to express joy. I uh, like, you know, it's like, we're going to solve the climate crisis. We're going to defeat the great reset. You know, we're going to come out better on the other side but uh, we have to all be participants and not just, uh, uh, you know, viewers or an audience for this thing. We're, we're going to build, build back better, but in a different way. Hey, Ronnie, it's been amazing talking to you. Yeah, yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you. Okay, take care. All right, bye-bye.